Hey, everybody. I hope you guys have been doing well. Happy New Year. Um, we've got some downtime here in StarCraft. We're in the offseason. I am really grateful. We're one of the esports that actually has an offseason where people like me and pros and other people that work in the tournament circuit uh, are able to go see their families and hang out and have a little bit of time to chill out. Um, in the middle of that, we are in the midst of a COVID lockdown here in Seoul. Uh, South Korea was one of the countries that handled this virus really well early on, but it seems like we've slipped off out here, and now uh, everything is closing at 9 p.m., except for grocery stores, and uh, there's a limited number of people that can meet up in gatherings if it's not work-related, and even for that, there's a cap. Fortunately, that doesn't affect any of my work out here uh, for casting, but I've basically been hanging out inside, uh, as expected. I'm streaming. By the way, feel free to join me on my stream. It's twitch.tv forward slash TV. We just got a new store set up, so we're finally selling merch. Um, come to my stream. Uh, just click on the info. If you scroll down, you, you can find a link to the store there. But we've got some cool stuff I'd love for you guys to check out. We're going to be adding some new uh, designs here soon as well. Um, also... I have picked up a little bit of side work here. I'm casting PUBG with my good caster friend, Paper Thin. Uh, you can find those casts at twitch.tv forward slash PUBG Korea underscore EN. Um, I did cast PUBG like three years ago um, as a side gig out here, and I've been offered the work again. I'm very happy to do it. We've been having a lot of fun casting it, so check that out as well. This episode of the podcast was with Ashley Kang of Horizon. She's a journalist out here in esports, and she's done some really incredible interviews with pro gamers. I really recommend you check out her YouTube channel and subscribe to her there. Um, and I was holding out on doing an interview with Ashley because she's the person that does all the interviews out here. I wanted to get more practice talking to other people in the podcast before I wouldn't talk to her. Uh, and her story is very unique in that she's somebody who's very new to the esports scene and has catapulted her way to the head. Uh, to the very front. A lot of people think that you have to work in esports for a really long time to get anywhere, and she's basically disproving that. Um, and her story's very, a very interesting one, and I think that she's got a really bright future ahead of her, so I think you guys are going to like this one a lot. Also, please, if you enjoy this podcast and the content that we're making here, come support us at Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash podcast. If you support our podcast, you get many perks, one of which is the after show. We do an additional recording where there's a lot of other stuff discussed, and people are really enjoying it. So um, if you can, again, please support us at patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. And without further ado, here's our episode with Ashley Kang. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you coming down. I was saving you um, <laughs> for a while now because you're the person that interviews all the major players out here. So now I get to interview the interviewer. Um, to start stuff off, I wanted to know, how exactly did you get into gaming? Like, what was what were your first games you played as a kid? Oh, like, well, we going all the way back. All the way back. All the way back. This is it's the origin very, story. Very, very, beginning, yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's yeah. really great to be here. And I finally get to be interviewed by the Tasteless. <laughs> thank you so much for coming down. No, um, I think I used, I always grew up as like a gamer kid. Um, my uncle was like a computer provider and I got my new computer at the ripe old age of six. And I was playing like a lot of DOS games, like, you know, Prince of Persia, 
Prince of Persia one or two? Yeah, Prince of Persia. Like, not even two, just one. The first one? Yeah, the first one. Where he breaks one. out yeah, of the window yeah, yeah. and he has yeah. to sword fight his way gets, to the boat? He gets cut into half all the time. And yes. And like blood comes out. Like, yeah, that was a great game to play. It was an amazing game. <laughs> okay, so you played the original Prince of Persia. That's yes, so I did. sick. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what, what else were you playing, too? Um, like, a lot of other DOS games that I forgot their English name because, like, you know, at that time I was playing them in Korean. Like, okay. there was one called, like, Raccoon. Like, this raccoon tries to eat a bunch of, like, fruits, and there was, like, this game called Fox and Caveman. Like, you know, you go around as a caveman and you just beat up dinosaurs and fruits and meats comes out. Did you play any of those educational games where they, they got, like, like number munchers or any of those stuff? No, no, no. I played no, that no. on DOS And all of the Disney games. Okay. Yeah, like Lion King, Aladdin, do you know any of yeah, them? Disney? The, yeah. I don't know if I knew any of those games on PC. I knew some of those on console, oh. but you were only on PC then? Yeah, I never got a console in my life, weird enough. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. That's like the true Korean kid experience. <laughs> it's just only PC games. So, Okay, so you started on DOS games. That's yeah. crazy because that's like super way back. That's yeah. like OG I mean, gaming. Yeah. Um, then what did you play through to get you into multiplayer exactly? Oh, uh, like... League of Legends. <coughs> Straight into League of Legends? Was that like your first multiplayer game? Yes, actually. I think it was actually my first multiplayer game. I actually did play a bit of StarCraft, but it was mostly trying to get through all the single player stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, did, I did watch a lot of StarCraft. Like, you know, I remember the days of Boxer in Yellow. This is like the ancient times in esports. But, you know, I had the Broodmore expansion and like, you know, I played through all the stories until the end. Sometimes I had to cheat, you know, show me the money. Yeah, there was a good one. Yeah. Because I couldn't like finish it. And, like a lot of strategy games, like you know, Civilization, Street Four Five, um, Heroes Might and Magic, and were these games that your your folks are picking up, or were that were you picking them out specifically? Yeah, I was actually picking them out. Like it was so weird because I don't actually remember when I got into games because ever since I picked up DOS games, I just really loved games, and then like I enjoyed playing them. It was like reading a book for me. Like I, yeah. I was like getting immersed into this world and. Like, you know, but like, you know, it was like really interactive. So I, I think I also played Warcraft 3 when it came out. Okay, I was going to ask you this. So, um, you know, League is, is modeled off of a, a Warcraft 3 use map setting. Yeah. Um, Dota. Dota. Too. Yeah. yeah Dota. Do, Do, well, the Dota, original yeah, Dota, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I think was actually, um, was there was a StarCraft 1 use map setting the name escapes me but that was i guess yeah, depends supposedly on the ancient, yeah yeah the, uh, was it, that what was it called i think it was something else actually yeah i'm not sure. sure i'm not sure what the original name was but yeah. um but did you play any dota on warcraft 3 at all i just realized i lied to you because i told you that multi, my first multiplayer game was league of legends but that's completely wrong because you just reminded me that i used to play a lot of the original Dota, the Warcraft Street expansion, when I was in the university. Okay, so yeah. you started kind of where this whole competitive world started. Mm -hmm. then. And then when you switched over to League of Legends, was that... Uh, what was the process like from you coming from, from Dota as the Warcraft 3 mod in, mm -hmm. into League of Legends? So to give a bit, a bit of a background on how I transitioned from Dota to League of Legends, um, so... When I was in university, this must have been back in 2006, like Dota was a big thing and we had a big computer room in our university and you couldn't install Dota, but people hacked it around and there was like a little USB that had a portable Garena and Warcraft and everything installed in it and people would go around sticking that USB. It was like a, it was like a go-to Dota pack. And as long as you have that USB in, you could just play Dota 
And then like the university security guys will chase it around and try to shut it down and people will always find a new hack. And you go into the computer room in my university back in New Zealand, you will see like five or 10 Koreans <laughs> like lined up just like playing five to five Dota. And that was my biggest pastime throughout university. And when I graduated university and waiting to start my job as a software engineer, I was like, oh my God, I'm so bored. Like, because my job only started at February. So I was looking around for something to do. And this was back in 2012. And a lot of my Korean friends were telling me, hey, there is a new game called League of Legends that just came out. So I started playing it and I fell in love with the game because I already had the Dota background. And I think that's when I first got immersed to it, yeah. So um, <clears throat> this is actually, you already beat me to my, to my other question I was gonna ask, but um, you were a computer programming major mm. in university. Yeah, Did you? Yeah. Uh, go into that field because you grew up playing computer games or were you especially attracted to coding? Um, I th it's re again, going back to your question, like, you know, a lot of people ask me, when did you start becoming a gamer? When were you interested in games? I honestly cannot remember when I was not interested in games because ever since I was six and first got my computer, I was playing game nonstop throughout my life i can't remember a single period longer than a week in my life where i wasn't playing video games or consuming some kind of like video game related content right so i cannot honestly tell you whether i can i got into coding because i like games because i can't remember what i was like without liking games doesn't make sense but um i think i just kind of picked up computer science naturally because i got into engineering and in the first year you could just take different engineering courses like engineering chemistry or software engineering or mechanical engineering and it just turned out to be the software engineering courses that I excelled at. Maybe it was easier for me because I was playing games all the time and so I had like basic knowledge of coding in my head but you know I turned into the class you know oh yeah this is the coding like you know I'm really happy to learn it and I got A plus so I was like okay so maybe this is the path for me so I decided to go into software engineering in my university. Did you have any ambitions on being a game designer? I know a lot of people that start out and this is including myself I yeah, was actually yeah, sure. a computer science major for like a short period of time in yeah. university mm -mm. Um, but I, I had in the back of my head the idea of maybe doing some type of game design. Was that the mm -hmm. case for you or was it just more your affiliation with computers growing up overall? I think everyone who gets into coding and realize that they have the power to create games in their own hands have dreamed of creating games at some point. And it is definitely something I dabbled in as a hobby, like even throughout my career as a software engineer, which I a career line that I eventually took off after I graduated from university and actually did it for six years. But I did it as a hobby, but I also enjoyed my job as a software engineering because it did share a common theme as creating games. I was creating something using coding that people could consume. I was making websites that people will view. So I was concentrating on making it very usable, how to make it friendly, how to make it more visually appealing. I was creating programs that people would use that, hey, how do I make it an easy, um, optimized experience as possible to people? So I think that's something that I found a joy in, which is not unlike Korean games. Did you grow up watching esports? I know you said that you were aware of uh, mm. the StarCraft competitive scene in Korea. Yeah. But, but was that something that, that you were 
following or was it something you were more just aware of? I think it was something that I was aware of. And this might sound really strange to someone who's watching from the Western perspective. Esports as a form of entertainment, as a sport, only became big much more recent, <coughs> right? But in Korea, the esports scene has been around in 2000. I remember visiting my grandparents back in about like, you know, 2000, 2001, and you turn on TV and there are some game channels and they will be actually playing people playing video games. So when I was growing up, I just considered it like football or basketball that I could sometimes tune into if I wanted to, if I decided to turn the TV on, but I didn't follow it quite closely until let's say 2015, 2016. So you were a computer science major, just yeah. out of curiosity, what, what languages did you study? Um, everything <clears throat> like C sharp, Java, Python, a lot, yeah, a lot of different languages. What what work did you go into right after that? Um, I went into like a super big corporate company and I'm sorry, a, su a super, super big corporate. Oh, company. super big yeah, corporate yeah, yeah, company. One of the biggest IT companies in New Zealand, and uh, yeah, I was a programmer that made websites or website solutions, and and now you're here. Yeah, hi. You're in Seoul. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, this is a complete. Well, maybe I, maybe this isn't true. I was going to say it's a complete departure from what your major is, but maybe not really. Maybe what I you're doing now is say more. It does feel like a very very big departure okay. because I was an engineer, which is thinking, creating something using a tool. Even though it's a computer language, I will say engineer is not unlike, let's say, an architect or a carpenter, or let's say like like. Car mechanic? I sure, wouldn't say, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say it's too different from that. Like, you know, there is a machine and you figure out how that machine works and you use that knowledge to build something. But now I am a content creator, which is more of an entertainment industry. So even though it has that common theme of video, like, you know, computer science, video game slash, I wouldn't actually say that I notice much crossover between the two. What I was going to ask was, like, yeah. now you're here. Would, did you choose to 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 journey into esports because the uh, job you got post graduating from university was unfulfilling, or um, I mean, what 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 took you away from New Zealand doing coding and then brought you out here? So I was actually going to ask a question back to you. Yeah. Because, um, Nick, um, we've been talking for quite a some time. I remember yeah. meeting you for the first time when I just arrived. When in did Korea. we first meet, actually? When I think it was one of the bars. Like, you know, it was like a birthday party or something. Yeah. That, like, in a bar that we used to go for a lot before the whole coronavirus situation. Right. Yeah. When Shut people could actually have gatherings. Yeah. 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 Without masks. Oh, my God. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it was like a, one of the birthday parties. It was a few years ago, right? It was. It must have been like mid to late 2018 and I turned up and oh yeah, there was this random girl who turned up to Korea. She speaks pretty good English and she wants to make it in esports. What was your first impression of me? Like, you know, yet another like dumb fuck, like, you know, who was like, well, oh I my mean, God, my, I'm dreaming. <laughs> I want to get into esports. Well, look, I mean, I, I did, <coughs> excuse me. Look, I mean, I did the same thing. I came yeah. out here and kind of, I don't think I had that much of a plan yeah. other than something kind of vague, like I'm going to make an esports mm, job work, yeah. but 
Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think much. I thought, you know, you were super friendly and, and you mm-hmm. seemed to be someone who was authentically uh, interested in League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been as much of a League of Legends person. It was, mm-hmm. it's always, I've always been kind of like the other, I guess, mm-hmm. in that world. Starcraft, I'm, yeah, okay, I'm yeah. older, you know, and oh. that's, that's the Starcraft generation. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, I remember when I first met you, I thought you seemed really enthusiastic. Mm. Um, and uh, obviously you're bilingual, so I was curious to see what would happen. Yeah. But I mean, here you are. Yeah. You've had, I think, a ton of success, and I think you've done it really in, in, in a pretty short period of time. I mean, a lot of people that have success at esports have have had it in it, sometimes because they've just been there for a long time. Mm. But you're doing very well for yourself, and, and it's why I was curious, like, what motivated you to make the big jump. I mean, a lot of people that I meet in esports mm-hmm. never even went to school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're not making yeah. any ends meet. It seems like there's, it's this or nothing else. Yeah. Um, but you were already a successful college graduate. Um, I think coding is, is, is a perfectly good profession. What made you take the leap to, <sighs> to move to the other hemisphere and, and pursue this? I'll, I can give you the short version and the long version, and then I'll give you both and start with the short version. Sure. The short version is, I thought I'll regret it if I didn't do it. And the longer version is, so yeah, um, I think it was about my fifth or sixth year in my programming. And it was like a really chill job. You know, you turn up to work about like 10 p.m. and you work until 5 p.m. and you go out for lunch, you're supposed to, and you spend like 30 minutes on it, but you end up going out for one hour. And yeah, it was like a really chill job that also paid decently because IT is a very lucrative business right now. And so yeah, I was making a good money and I was saving up towards my house. And one of my biggest hobby was watching LCK, which is the Korean division of the League of Legends. I loved watching it and I loved the personalities in it. You know, the, the players, not just for the games that they played, but because I was consuming the a lot of their content slowly, I realized that, hey, so the players that I see aren't only just nicknames, but they have personalities behind them. Some of them go back home to stream and I started catching up with their stream and wow, this guy is really funny or wow, this guy is really ambitious. And if I hear him talk, I can paint a broader picture of what their player is. So I was slowly getting immersed into like this world that is esports. And at that time, even though LCK still is and was a very popular division even to the english audience because we all know about you know monte monte cristo and doa who first came over to korea to cast the korean league of legend and because of that the english-speaking audience always had access to the korean esports however the content side you know the interviews with the players or the streams where they will share their own ideas didn't get as propagated as often to the english audience and because i was bilingual i was like, you know, reading up to a lot of the English channels. And, oh yeah, those English audience, even though they tune into the games, do not know about those players as human beings. So I thought there was a big gap. And again, I was a programmer who was on a really chill job, and so I had a lot of free time and I wanted some hobbies. So I started translating what's going on in the Korean scene on Reddit and like other, other communities. And people liked it and people started reading it. And I felt happy doing it because I felt like I was making a difference to something that was, that I loved. I would say love, I like saying love. Like I love this scene and I wanna make a difference here and I'm just doing something simple as translating what's going on there and people love it. 
So I started like doing some side jobs in esports, just like really small things, like interviewing, maybe interviewing a player when an when like a media outlet needed a translator or wanted to talk to a Korean player that couldn't speak English. This was when you came to Korea. No, or before, this is before, before, like they say that there were some players in <coughs> USA at that time, not as famous as the big players, but still they haven't. And let's say that they didn't get an interview the whole year because they couldn't speak English. And an outlet would actually reach out to me, say, hey, we always wanted to interview this player. Can you come out as a translator on Discord call? And I was, I'll be like, okay, and I'll help out with the translation. It was really cool. So I was slowly doing all this. And one day I realized, so I enjoy, even though I also love my main job as a programming, I feel like more, I feel more gratified doing this because I feel like I'm making a difference. I'm a programmer doing my job. And if I leave, they will get another programmer who is just as good as me. But I feel like, hmm, there isn't anyone else trying to actively bridge this gap between the West and the East. And this was a critical point in time when I have saved up enough money to buy, a, to get a mortgage and buy a house. And my parents were really pushing for it. And oh yeah, look at this house in like this district. Like, you know, if you get this amount of loan, you can pay it out off in 15 years. So I was in a crossroad. I realized I could either go this way, buy a house, get a mortgage and stay in a good job one or the other for 15 years and pay it off and have a good rest of the life or I could pause everything. At that time, I only thought for six months or a year and move to Korea and at least give it a go. And if I gave it a go, I thought that even if I failed at it, if I failed, if I gave esports a go and failed at it and came back, I would at least be said, I gave it a go. So I don't regret it. How old were you when you moved out here? Mm. Or made the first leap, I should say, moving out here? So I moved here in 2018. Okay. But 2018, <clears throat> I need to think about this. How old am I now? I'm 31 now. This is Western age? Western age. Western age? Yeah. Take, take off three from that. So, it's so like I was 20, 28. 28. Yeah. yeah, I think I was 23 when I moved out here. But mm. I remember... I remember when I would go back to Kansas to see my friends, mm. what freaked me out. Yeah. Um, and many of my friends had never really traveled or they yeah. had like been to like a resort in Mexico or something, <laughs> okay, which isn't yeah, really yeah, that yeah. adventurous. Mm. But um, seeing how many of my friends were getting like down payments on houses mm. that would be like 20 or 25 years. And I just remember thinking that was like a fucking death sentence <laughs> because I was pursuing mm. my dreams overseas. Mm. And had I you know planted any seeds yeah. in the US mm. there's just there's no way I could I could make the the leap over and I actually talk to a lot of people who are uh closer to my age range or your age range who have already made investments in where they are and now they can't uproot and leave and mm. I think that's very interesting that you were in a similar position where it's like uh there's pressures to 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 settle down somewhere because that's stable mm. But the truth is, if you if you make that commitment, then you can't take a risk like what you're doing. Hmm. Uh, was there any pressure from your family? Oh, there was uh, a lot of pressure. <laughs> so I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but that is it, fine. Yeah. I mean, uh, were they okay with you with you leaving and coming here, or did they think this was like a phase, and maybe you'll 
come to your senses and come back? Um, I remember actually having this conversation with my parents. So I had already signed, put in my resignation at my job because I was decided that I'm going to quit my job and move to Korea. And we were having Chinese hot pot. And while we, while we were ordering some beef and putting in the meat into the hot pot, I told my parents, hey, like, you know how, like, I've been talking about esports for a while and, like, maybe thought about going to Korea? I actually just put in my resignation and I might actually move to Korea. And my mom just sighed and ordered more beef. <laughs> she sighed and what? Sighed and ordered more beef. <laughs> and I did ask her later in the night, like, aren't you going to tell me off or anything? And she said, I definitely want to tell you off, but I also know you and that's not going to change anything. So my parents were definitely against it, but they didn't vocalize it, but I know they were against it because even though when we say that, oh yeah, putting down a mortgage for 25 years and putting that life commitment, it does, it does sound boring, but at the same time, that is to another part of population that's like the dream life being able to put in down the money and have like a stable life with your own house and i think that's like definitely the life that my parents wanted for their child and they thought it was a phase of course i thought it was a phase so <laughs> when um when you came here mm. um obviously you've been coming here as as a kid back and forth right mm -hmm. uh so it wasn't i guess i shouldn't say it wasn't a foreign country in this in the way that it probably was for some other people coming here um what was that like did you have help uh getting settled in here did you sort of do it on your own and 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 how difficult or or easy was that i think i had some help for example i had you know people like you know max who may have appeared on your podcast before yeah i've had max yeah on. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Max and Seth and like, you know, other people working in esports in Korea who kind of gave me some advices. But I came here and I found myself an Airbnb and tried to look for a house. And it did definitely help me that I was fluent in Korean. I think it was mostly me, especially the part where I was interacting with Riot, like to get a media pass, etc. It was a lot of trial and error. Was that um, was that stressful or was that was that fun? I mean... I, I feel like when I talk to people that mm. um, come out here, I feel like I've seen every range of emotion. Mm. Um, I mean, did, did you find that uh, easy? Did you feel any type of imposter syndrome in, in, in the process of, of trying to do that? I think actually that's like a really interesting question because while you were asking that question, I shortly reflected on that early period and I feel like I almost... Have you ever been to a vacation and where you felt like the whole thing was a dream a little bit? And sure. when you're on a vacation, you might do things that you might not normally do back at home because you feel a bit wild and maybe you're in that vacation mode. Hey, all, all of this is just a dream. And when you go back home, like, you know, you just leave it as a memory. Have you ever been in that mindset? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I know what like? you mean. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it feels a little bit like a game, mm. like a video game or yeah, something. Exactly. Like you're yeah. on an adventure. And yeah. Your, like, I mean, I dropped out of college and when I came here, it was kind mm -hmm. of like, I think I, I more molded what my goals were after I kind of got here mm -hmm. and sort of had an idea of what maybe was possible. But initially mm -hmm. I just had a, a very small job offer that I wanted to take and just mm -hmm. see where I could go with that. And mm -hmm. so 
Um, absolutely. I mean, I was doing I was doing city life stuff, and I was a kid from Kansas. Mm. I went to school in Colorado, but I didn't have any money, so I never left campus. So I was plunged into an Asian mega city, and I was uh, going to clubs and 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 you know trying to learn another language and, and a lot of different stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, I always thought about it kind of like a point and click adventure game. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to make my way through it, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Mm. What about you? I think that's exactly it. You consider a game and in a game, even if you die, you have no consequences, right? You know, right. like, oh yeah, I made a wrong choice. I'll later revisit that choice when I start from scratch. Or like, you know, it feels a more free, so to speak. Um, and I think that's exactly how I felt when I came to Korea, uh, when I came to Korea, I took about 15K in maybe a bit less than that. If you do the conversion, about 15K out of my bank and told my parents, if I run out of this, I'm going to come back home. So it was a bit of an hourglass and it almost felt a bit liberating because I thought I'll give it a go until this money runs out. And I know that that amount of effort is would have been enough for me to say, I don't regret trying it. So I was re working really hard. It was a very stupid choice because unlike you, I didn't have a single job offer. Like I started a website and YouTube channel out of ground and kind of told Riot that, hey, I wanted to cover League of Legends and they somehow said yes. And so I was turning up. I didn't know how to interview anyone at all. So I researched how to interview people. Then I bought a bunch of gadgets from Daiso and everywhere else. I remember the one time where I couldn't find a mic. So I hacked up a mic, inbuilt mic earphones and I put it up into like a mic-shaped teddy bear and then gave it to the players to talk into. So I was, a, I was just like, yeah, hacking everything. And it just felt so, e it, it was extremely stress stressful, but at the same time, I felt one step removed from it because the whole decision to move to Korea was so surreal, surreal and so impossible that I almost didn't associate it with myself. I know for a lot of Koreans, mm -hmm. or I should say ethnic Koreans that yeah. have lived back, uh, like in Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, they've mm -hmm. lived. They've lived. Um, well, they're in some sense their home is is the country where they were raised by their family, but then they come back um, to a place like Seoul. Uh, some have told me that they've been treated differently, um, that they're not Korean enough. Did mm -hmm. you have any experiences like that, or did you feel like you fit right in? I think. I would say that I still don't completely fit in because I would say that a person is not only defined by the main language they speak or how fluent they are in the language that is spoken in their given land, but also with their cultural and moral values. And I'm not saying that Korea or New Zealand has better or worse moral values. It's just that I simply grew up in New Zealand and my personality and my values have been built around the New Zealand culture. And you can't share. I had 26, 28 years of that. So living here for three years wouldn't simply make it all go away. And it's more difficult to fit in in Korea because Korea is not a multicultural country at all. You can go to New Zealand and you can sit down in a cafe and you see Indian people, Korean people, Chinese people, Japanese people, you see every different kind of ethnicity and culture in different spectrum. So it's okay to be diverse. Like they have a broader sense of what makes a New Zealander is. 
So even if you have a slightly different value, you immediately fit in. But in Korea, they have such a specific idea of what a Korean is that I do, don't think I meet the criteria. So it was different. So I wouldn't say that I fit in in a Korean sense. How much is Seoul? Wait, I'm sure were you coming to Seoul when you were, were visiting as a child? Um, Seoul and Busan. Seoul and Busan. Yeah. Uh, well, how much do you feel like those places have changed since you were a kid? Because I've been out here for 13 years and I feel like I'm watching this country transform mm. at a pretty rapid pace. Do, do you feel similarly? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, don't, I think when I was visiting, I was just experiencing Korea in like a week or two time span that I don't notice it too much. So I don't know. I can't comment on that. My immediate answer is no, I haven't noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah. So let's talk about Horizon. Like, Hi. <laughs> this, is, this is fucking so cool what okay. you've done. It, it, it's really impressive. And I mean, I guess although it's, it's it, in some sense, sense tethered to, to the league, right? Mm. It, it, you really are kind of your own operating yeah. system out here. Um, did Is this something, like I guess you could say this media outlet, or, or um, is this like something that was your brainchild? Did you, did you come up with this as some, as some kind of a master plan on how to stay out here, or did this sort of form on its own, and now it, it's what is keeping you afloat uh, out here? Um, afloat as in, as a, Financial sense, or what do you mean? Well, like for me, I kind of accidentally fell into casting, mm. right? Like, I mean, I, I came out here and I wanted to be uh, a caster, but my career started a little bit before I moved to Korea, whereas mm. yours, you moved out here and did this. Mm. Were you intending to be um, like an independent uh, a journalist, or were you intending to eventually try to work with Riot, or were you uh, intending to cover many games or just one game? I think this is a decision that I made earlier on in the business that I actually struggled with. I did actually did not have a long-term plan. I was simply like, this won't probably work out, but I just want to make content in League of Legends and see how far I can go. And I guess my motivation was over at the LCS, which is the North American division of League of Legends. I think it stands for League Championship something. But um, they have a journalist called Travis Gaffold who has his own YouTube channel. And what he also does is he stands right by the players and he interviews them. So the camera is not facing just the player, but Travis Gaffold also appears in the camera. And I'm like, okay, this is a good format that I could take over because this becomes more of a conversation rather than Q&A, Q&A, and the answers are cut up in, in like a really nice way and then produced later to put up on YouTube. So this that's like the format that I wanted to take. And Travis Gafford is mostly like an independent brand. But at that time, even as an Ashley King, I didn't have a brand. So I thought, oh, if I don't have a brand, I'll pretend to be a brand. So I made Carice. <laughs> and, and when you did that, I mean... Yeah. Was that scary at all? Mm, I, yeah. or, or was was it exciting? I mean, what was it like to try to come out there and say, I, I mean, having, I guess, not not a proper journalism background, I mean, wh what was that like for you? I think, again, going back to the whole displacement that I felt when I first came to Korea, I don't think I felt too scared. I was so 
fixated in that mindset of I will make or break it. That I didn't really feel that scared, so I just turned up into the media room, and I try to gouge my surroundings and mimic what the other journalists are done are, are doing at the time. Obviously, like you know, I stumbled early on, or probably made a few mistakes, or like caused some lines that isn't supposed to be done in media room. I don't think I did it too much, but like, hey, this is what's going on here. I'll try to mimic what's going on, and try to do my own thing. Yeah. How did you learn how to interview pro gamers? I've always found that pro gamers are kind of hard to interview. I mean, a lot of them, and I mean, I don't think that they should be easy either. I think that, I mean, this is even true with a lot of sports athletes. I mean, they're yeah. not necessarily that interested in answering questions. They're really yeah. there to play the game. I know, right? um, but it seems like you were really able to make players open up, <clears throat> excuse me, to make players open up. Mm. Did you learn that by trial and error, or did you study other interviewers from the past? I think it was really trial and error and seeing what worked. I, I remember recently re-watching some of the earlier interviews that I did, and I was super nervous, and I couldn't even... I, like, when I watched the video that I did, the memories popped up. Oh, my God, I remember being so nervous, and I couldn't even meet the player's eyes because I was so starstruck because... I was always watching the OGN broadcast on Twitch and I used to just see those players on TV and then like he was sitting in front of me, I had to make a conversation with him. So I was just like, phone, ask the question, phone, ask the question. Like, and I can't even really directly see their eyes. Did, did you have that weird moment where, <clears throat> excuse me, did you have that weird moment where it's like, oh my God, it's a real person. Like you've seen this person on TV so many times, but then they're suddenly in front of you. And it's a it's, little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But also like when you're in the media room, there is the whole aura of you getting the work done, not just by the journalist, but also the players that your setting creates you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like when you're when when it's everything is super disciplined and everyone's just kind of there to do their job in this very fixed routine that is that repeats itself after every match in the media room, then you can really get sucked into it really quickly. Yeah. You know, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I uh, uh -huh. lied that I was a journalist when I was working at uh, a <laughs> Korean event. There used to be a, a second BlizzCon called WWI. Yeah, yeah. And I lied and I said I worked for Team Liquid just to talk to like five pro gamers. And I just asked them a bunch of fake questions. <laughs> I'm actually cringing now thinking about this. But uh, yeah, if you're in that kind of, if you're in like a setting like that, I guess uh, it does kind of create you, right? Yeah, you put exactly. In the media room yeah. And, and you have to be super confident. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's about how you carry yourself too. Yeah. You know, if you said that and you were like really nervous and like trying to be like, acted like a fanboy. I, I hate that word, but let's go with that word. Sure. Now. Yeah. Like, you know, that if you acted like that, they would have seen through you. But if you were like almost non, like non-committed, hey, um, by the way, I'm like Team Liquid, like, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, let me ask you a really quick question. And if you're so... so super professional about it, then they would have immediately seen you as a journalist. It's all about how you carry yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any um, awkward stories you'd be willing to share? If you don't have any, but awkward I mean, stories? moments where you did an interview and it was like, oh, this is not going right, or you, you brought up the wrong topic or anything uh, like that? Like, I just remember being super awkward and, or, you know, you know those early times where you can't think of your next question and there is like an awkward like <laughs> 10 second 
silence and it feels like a lifetime to you or mumbling up like saying a different thing by mistake or just like really gen like generic mistakes that but still they were super embarrassing for me because again I was talking to players that I didn't want to disappoint because as a journalist like you know I wanted to do my best job and if you make mistakes like that then you didn't do a good job as a journalist so like you know I remember having those mistakes and just going home and not being able to sleep until the next day because like I was oh my god I fucked up like you know I should just fly back to New Zealand or whatever but yeah like I think the biggest hurdle that I had to pass is I was never a conversational person I was not never like an extroverted person I grew up as a computer nerd like you know I mentioned that I used to play Civilization and Elder Scroll, Heroes of Might and Magic. I was that one kid who would just like sit at the back of the class and go back home and just play games all day. So I was super introverted. So it was not only picking up that conversational skills, but also building up your own self-confidence to be that conversational person. And I think that was the biggest hurdle. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I um, when you, I, you know, one of the things about doing work like this is having to review. Yeah, your work. Mm. I mean, I I have a hard time watching myself, and I've, I've <laughs> been doing commentary. I've been doing the interviewing for not that long, and I find interviewing very challenging. But going back and reviewing work has always been hard for me. I can do it, but I have to be in the right state of mind. What is that like for you? Do you have like a system you follow, or are there Must times you'll just skip an interview or anything like that? Must be hard for everyone. Like, you know, everyone's human. Yeah. And I think the modern society forces you to be like self-conscious almost, so to speak. Funny enough, and I guess that it has actually helped me in the long run, even though it has given me immense stress and nerve breakdowns, is that I have to subtitle every interview that I do, which means that I Oof. have to... Rewatch without skipping any second every single interview I did and listen to the words and think about the words that I said because I do Korean interviews and they have to be subtitled into English. So I think I was forced to review every single work that I did and I hated every second of it. Like I remember, do you still do it now? I still have to do it now and like I have to watch it. Like the, one of the first interviews I did, I was subtitled for three minutes and then walk out. And then take a walk for 10 minutes and come back and start watching it. I'm like, I hate myself. I hate myself. And then like, you know, try to subtitle for three minutes and go out and take a 10 minute walk. Because like you said, I absolutely hated myself. And it was worse because at that time I was terrible at interviewing. I was absolutely, absolutely terrible. But still, I was forced to rewatch every of them. But I think the good part of it is you pick up your mistakes quickly. That's a good point. Mm. It's kind of like um, ripping off a Band-Aid. Like you have to do it. Yeah, so yeah, much. Eventually, yeah. you're going to become accustomed to mm. it on some level. Um, what do you feel like you're working on most now? Uh, or is there anything you're working on? Do you take it more interview by interview? Oh, what do you mean? Like, out of curiosity. Well, I guess like each interview is like a new start, right? Like mm. a, a new chance at something. Do, do mm. you go in with any kind of goal? Or you just, do you just, in, in some sense, try to put out the best possible interview for each uh, interviewee? Is it okay if I try to like have answered it in like a more holistic way yeah yeah of course like so i think it was about the middle of 2019 where i drastically changed my interview style before that it was more similar to the broadcast interview where it's like how are you feeling match blah 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 
your next opponent, blah, 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 and then end the interview. Like it followed a certain format. And I guess it was good to have a format until 2019 because I was just getting used to it. And I was like going around and going around and going around and not asking anything new. And then slowly I realized that every player has a different story to tell and different personalities. So I'll give one example. Um, In Korea, we have a player called Deft. Um, who is very famous? He's been around since like 2013. One of the one of the biggest names across Korea and China, and he is a very very quiet person who will who is used to interviews and will readily answer questions like "How are you feeling? What is your goal? And what do you think about your next matchup?" And one day he came into the interview room really frustrated, and he's when I asked him "How are you feeling?" instead of answering in a standard way, he gave me like a two-minute breakdown on actually I think I did this and this and this wrong in the last match and I don't feel good about it and so instead of going to my next question I mentally dropped every single Q&A that I had in my mind and said why do you feel that regret and I just followed that train of thought until the end of the interview until we had to cut off because we ran out of the 10 minute minute interview so I was and after that interview I was like wow there was a conversation, not an in, not another Q and A, and then I had a, a different interview with a player called Nuguri, who recently won world championship before going to China. And he was like, one day he walked onto into the interview room, super excited. He was like, "I'm so happy! I can see rainbows because like I'm really happy about the match that had happened." So instead of asking the standard question, I was like, "You just told me you're happy. Tell me more about that feeling." And he's like, "Oh la la la," and I was like, "Okay, you feel happy about that, but..." So I just like made it a conversation and kept asking follow-up questions and they worked really well. And that made me go back to the drawing table. Okay, so I'm gonna do a different interview depending on what I know about that player. Some players are more introspective. Some players just wanna talk about themselves. So some players, like maybe I have to push them, but in which way are they gonna push them? So I started doing researches on the personalities of the individual players. I started watching their stream to see what kind of personalities they have or which subjects make them click. And I stopped making really detailed question notes because if I spend enough time researching about their player and have enough rough understanding on their personalities, I could just go in, have a few subjects in my mind and just make it a free-flowing conversation. How much has COVID affected your line of work? Is it... For some people in esports or streaming or gaming, it's had no impact, Mm. but for others, it's been devastating. What is it like for you? I think it was challenging in a way, even devastating and in a way motivating. This will sound really weird, but I think I'll talk about the negatives first. Um, After COVID hit, a lot of the esports tournament went online and... I was still able to do interviews, not as much, but online, like, you know, through Discord video calls or Skype video calls. So after a match, before COVID, I'll, I'll be sitting at Law Park and I'll go into the lobby, wait for some players to come in, and I'll say hi to them and come into the interview room. And then we'll do an interview and then leave. But this time I'll just sort of sit at home and wait for them to come into Discord and have a video chat and leave. Um, so I guess I'm lucky in a way that I can still do 90% of my work online because, you know, 
video calls are great. And as long as there is a player in it, we're having a conversation, there's still content. However, I just feel like I missed having that routine and that excitement of going to the venue every day. It just felt really different being there in person, seeing the matches in person. Um, afterwards, even if I would get like, you know, 10 seconds to chat with the player while I'm setting up, it created a lot of vibe. And I kind of miss all that, like being more in touch with the work that I am doing. Because in the end, if you're doing it online and watch the match online, after a while, you feel a bit dis detached. And I was especially sad during this world championship, which was being held in Shanghai, because no matter how I tried, I wasn't able to fly there. And this was the year when a team called Diamond Gaming, a Korean team, was able to win Wells. And I was really sad because it's a Korean team and I wasn't there in person to take photos of them and just be in the press conference in person and just be able to live all those moments. In so in a way that was devastating, but actually like a good way that it has challenged me and made me feel better, like it made me grow as a journalist is before that, I was only covering the LCK because my mind never thought about the whole possibility of the remote interviews. But when LCK became online, I, and also LEC and LCS, which is the European and American League went online, I realized, hmm, every journalist there are doing interviews online now anyway. Like European journalists are now doing European interviews online. So why can't I just randomly jump in as long as I can stay up all, all day? Because before I never imagined myself interviewing on European player. I was like, oh yeah, I applied for a media pass, even though we were like half a country away and said yes. So I was, I suddenly started covering both Korea and Europe. And I'm like, I never thought about this, but suddenly it's working. So I was able to expand to different regions and also do a lot of English interviews and expand my brand. And I don't think I would have necessarily explored that if, I, if COVID didn't challenge me to do otherwise. Yeah. How long do you think COVID's going to be impacting esports? Uh, <laughs> as long as it's impacting every other major esports, I guess, because in the end, esports is putting people on the same venue and having audiences, I guess, maybe maybe another year almost before we get full events. And it also depends on country, right? Yeah. You might see it, actually see it happen sooner in China than let's say America. Yeah, but then, you know, it's, it's such a mess. I mean, mm -hmm. especially with, you know, League of Legends is expanding I think specifically in the countries that are maybe hit or miss with will it be fixed? Mm. You know, there's been major tournaments in Vietnam uh, and other places where it's like they're going to get the vaccine, but we don't know exactly when it's going to be back to normal. Exactly, yeah. And especially with how global it is, it does seem like, you know, it, mm. there's just parts of the world that may not be fixed for a year or two, exactly. I think. Yeah, exactly. Like. To, to, this is 2021 and next year's world championship was supposed to be held in LA and I was reading the news today and 20% of the entire LA population has been infected with COVID virus. Can you believe it? It's crazy. I've got yeah. family there too. Nobody's got it yet, but ugh. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. yeah. I want stuff to get back to normal. Um, I. I want to ask you, and I feel like this is cliche because I've interviewed women before, but do you find it challenging being a woman working in esports or gaming for that matter? 
I think so. Yeah. What What do you find the most difficult about it, and and why? I think it's cliche to ask the question, and I think it's just as cliche for many people to say, "Oh, wow, it's easier to get into esports." Like if you're a woman, I don't know. Like you know, have you heard this before? And what do you think about this narrative? I always felt it was kind of weird. I mean, there's not that many women. Well, there are women in esports for yeah. sure. Okay, let me think. How do, how do I answer this correctly? So I think there's there's definitely shitty dudes who are out there who are who are threatened by women, um, and I don't get it. And I'm happy to have women in esports and work with women in gaming. That being said, um, I've been in esports for my entire adult life. My producer's a woman. My director's a woman at GSL and at Africa TV. Our head writer is a woman. Mm-hmm. At Blizzard, the person I answered to, uh, Amy Morheim, she's not mm-hmm. at Blizzard anymore. The Morheims aren't there anymore. Was a woman. Kim Fan was a woman. So I think women aren't excluded, but that doesn't mean that they don't have to deal with uh, difficulties. So I think women are present in esports and gaming, but. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, I think there is a myth that they're, they're not allowed entry. So what would you say to that? I think it's less about the presence or more about the perceived presence in esports. And you just mentioned that a lot of your colleagues are women. Right. And also or my we, superiors even, yeah. And we're talking in the Korean context, right? And American as well, like at, American at Blizzard. Well, yeah. Back when I uh, Blizzard had more people mm. that I could work with. <laughs> they're not doing as well anymore, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, the reason why I bring up Korea and West is Korea always had slightly more percentage of female audience in it, when it came to esports, especially That's when it true. to live audience. I can't speak for StarCraft, but is there a lot of like you know significant amount of woman audience? All of the people that I work with who are female, who are my age or older, all were on StarCraft One, mm. like I was. Yeah. So yeah, that's and true. also in terms of audience. Yeah, and yeah, StarCraft like, One also always had a large female audience out here. Mm. It was it was sort of uh, it's not, I don't want to say on par, but there's definitely some similarities with like mm. the um, obsession with certain K-pop stars and mm. a lot of the female fans yeah. that are there with that. There there was that with StarCraft One. It's still there on some level, but um, I think there's like a similarity, I guess, mm. there. But yeah, a lot of the people that are female that I work with yeah. were big StarCraft One fans. So to expand on that, um, so. I never thought it was odd because the first live audience that I experienced was the Korean LCK. Uh, so I never really thought anything about the large percentage of female audience in like in the seats until I visited LA one day and I went to LCS and oh my god, there was no woman there. Like it was yeah. like it, it was a very, very specific audience. And I, I was like wondering why. And I actually talked to my American colleagues and they thought it was it was normal because women aren't simply interested in gaming. And they said it in like a very, very obvious, that's the way it is kind of tone. And I'm like, hmm, this is quite interesting because if we keep saying that, isn't that very discussion making esports not as welcoming place? Because if you tell a minority of a specific scene that you as a birthright is less likely to be interested or have passion in gaming, then is that a welcoming place for them? Because there is like a discussion that I see over and over again. Whenever the subject of 
women being minority in gaming comes up, the argument that always is, that's already the statistics. Like women simply aren't interested in gamings. And I'm wondering, is this, isn't this like Mobius like rope or like an ever feeding cycle? Because we say that women are less welcome in esports, women feel less welcome in esports and it becomes like a vicious self-feeding cycle. Because then what happens is when there are women in the audience, they must be interested in something else. Maybe they're not interested in the game itself because they're not interested in the game itself, but must be fangirls who are interested in K-pop instead of the actual game. So now that that discussion becomes so prevalent, we see on through like a looking glass and say, oh, there is a woman in esports? We already told ourselves multiple countless times that women aren't interested in game by default. So they must be K-pop fans who somehow are deciding to K-pop banning like the games. But well, they might be just as interested in games. I've met so many female fans who are genuinely interested in the game and are like, go back home after watching a game and go home and play solo queue because they like the game that much and have followed the scene as early as 2012. And that extended to me and I felt it firsthand. When I first came into the scene, many people might say, oh, she's just a fangirl who's interested in this player or that player. Yeah, but you or have just to have some to... kind of like an ulterior motive, basically. Yeah, 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 because yeah. that prejudice that women are interested in game is so prevalent and people think on that basis, oh yeah, there is a woman in the scene, she must have an alter alternative motive. And they start thinking based on that prevention. Sometimes their conclusion is, oh, she just wants attention because there aren't any women in esports. You may have heard this argument before. Or she just wants to sleep with the players. You may have heard this one before. Or she doesn't know that much about the game, but like you know, she wants to make it anyway. So I think there are so some prejudices in esports that we can look at or at least think about the consequences of those discussions. I wonder, it also seems to go the, the opposite way. Like for me growing up uh, as a Westerner, like mm -hmm. everything uh, that I was doing playing games was viewed as uh, antisocial. Mm -hmm. um, like that I would not get a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. That this was uh, degenerate. What was, I think, also an issue as well is, you know, uh, I mean, I remember going through high school and in parts of college, people kind of making asides. That, I mean, you're playing these games all day. Clearly, this is a dead end. This is an unattractive, essentially an, an embarrassing hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, and even for me, as I get older and I talk to women uh, older than me, my age or younger, I do meet a lot of women who feel like they've been uh, put on the margins of, of gaming, like mm. they've had an interest in it, but didn't feel like they were welcome there. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it, if it goes both ways. Mm. Um, it, it is interesting because I do feel like in Korea, there's less of a fixation on uh, a gender role when it comes to playing games. Like it doesn't seem to be as... It's like women play games and men play games out here? It's been around for longer. Mm -hmm. and so you I think th the time has sort of uh, worn that down? I think time will help and people realize that gaming is not necessarily based on your chromosomes. But also that shouldn't stop people from having discussions about it. Oh yeah, timing works it. I think there can still be active discussions to try to make some change about it rather than saying that women are simply interested in games because I can tell you that, like I said, I don't remember a single moment in life where I was not interested in games, so I can't tell you what I would have been like if I was not interested in games. I don't, yeah, that period didn't exist in my life. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this interview.
I want to interview you for a long time, but I needed I needed training. So hopefully I, I did you justice. Um, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Um, hi, um, I'm Ashley Kang. And if you're interested in League of Legends or esports or like even just interested in Korean culture and want to like learn more about it as a Western audience, you can check me out mainly on Twitter. Um, if you just look for Ashley Kang, maybe they'll put a nice like a lower third behind me so you can just find me or consider it done yeah and also on youtube um horizon esports where i mainly put up interviews from both western and korean players usually subtitled into multiple languages so can check it out um players like baker depth choby um in west like reckless um Inkos, who else is around yeah uh bjergsen double lift so yeah Thank you so much. This is awesome. Um, we're going to go to the after show now. That doesn't take very long. Do I um, here? Yeah, we stay right there. Okay. Yeah, nothing special. Uh, yeah. Guys, thanks for watching. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I really was uh, very grateful for Ashley sitting down with me and taking the time to talk. Definitely, again, subscribe to her YouTube channel. She is killing it. She's got a, a lot of very insightful interviews with pro gamers, and she's really doing something that uh, people weren't doing with pros before. A lot of these pro gamers were fairly faceless and the interviews were pretty generic. Um, again, if you're enjoying these episodes, please support us at patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. Uh, there we do offer perks such as the after show where you can continue to hear uh, additional recordings, which we did not air, uh, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. Again, it's really appreciated. Uh, I'm going to be casting the PUBG finals in just a day or two i guess this will probably already air but um feel free to check out the PUBG finals uh it may be <laughs> retroactively check it out it's at twitch.tv forward slash PUBG korea underscore en uh the store for my twitch page is up so uh, go to twitch.tv forward slash tasteless tv uh, and check out our store there and of course hang out with me on the stream guys stay safe i hope we all get vaccinated soon keep wearing masks washing your hands i love you and i'll see you guys next time bye-bye